The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here. And it is great to be with you. Uh, this morning, we are going to be looking at Joshua chapter 3 and 4. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to Joshua chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And we'll also be projecting the passage on the screen so you can follow along there. Uh, but we're looking at Joshua 3, and, and so far uh, in these first two weeks, the first two weeks previous to this that we've looked at Joshua, we've been introduced to two new characters, uh, right? In Joshua 1, we were introduced to a new leader in the nation of Israel, the man Joshua. Moses has died. He has gone away. The man who led them out of Egypt, who led them through the wilderness, he, he, he's dead, and he is gone. And so God raised up Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. That's who we met in chapter 1. In chapter 2, last week, we met a different character. We met uh, Rahab, the prostitute, right? Rahab, who is the Canaanite woman, the pagan, the idolater, who has great faith, who has this wonderful statement of faith that the Lord, your God, the Lord, the God of the scriptures, he is the Lord over heaven and earth. This prostitute had this great word of faith. But now this morning in our passage, we don't, we're not introduced to a new character. We don't have a new person on the scene. Instead, what we see are the first steps that God's people take into the land. What they've been waiting for, what they've been moving towards. They're about to cross the Jordan and step into the land for the first time. And as they do so, God is going to call them to remember to remember this day. Now, why do they need to remember this day? Like, why not all the days that came before? Not why, all the days that are going to come after. Why this day should they remember? Well, our passage helps us to see it. Let's follow along, beginning in Joshua 3, and we'll read a part of Joshua 4. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, 
the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. At Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down towards the sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. And when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests stood, feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do ask that as we come to your word, that you would help us to remember your grace, to marvel in your goodness and to trust in your word. Open our eyes, and by your Spirit, lead us into your truth, so that what is said and spoken, what is done here this morning, would give you honor and glory, for you are deserving of it. And so we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one of the uh, movie franchises that is one of my family's favorite movie franchises is the Bourne franchise. Some of you are familiar with the Jason Bourne movies, right? The Bourne Identity, the Bourne Supremacy, the Bourne Ultimatum, and there's a few others afterwards. But these movies center around a single man, Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne is a trained assassin for the U.S. military. He's been trained and developed. He's been equipped and prepared to go into other places, into lands, and he takes out the enemies of the American government. This is what he does, but, but there's a problem with Jason Bourne, as if that wasn't enough, right? Like, I mean, he's an assassin, that's problematic. But, but there's a bigger problem that he's confronted with. The problem is, is that he can't remember who he is. 
That's how the movies begin, the born identity. It begins with him not being able to remember his name, his history, or how he ended up in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And along the way, he meets this woman named Marie, and Marie is driving him to France, and, and they're stopped at a truck stop, and they're having a conversation, and Jason Bourne says to her, I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed, and the guy sitting at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for half a mile before my hands start shaking. How can I know that and not know who I am? You see, he remembers things. He hasn't forgotten everything. He remembers that he can run flat out for half a mile before his hands start to shake. He can remember all those languages that he learned that he was trained in. He can recite them and, and pull them out, right? He can speak French and German and Russian and all sorts of other languages. He remembers many things, but he can't remember the most important thing, who he is. He's forgotten. And because he's forgotten, because he can't remember, he's frustrated, and he's exhausted, he's angry and worried. He can't remember. Now, I imagine that most of us remember who we are, right? That's not our problem this morning. We don't forget that, but we forget lots of things. And those, that forgetting of things, it causes, causes different emotions and experiences in our lives, right? Like, we forget where we left our keys, and that causes us to be frantic and panic, right? I'm going to be late. What if I never find them? Who put them where, where, where? Right? That's what we do. That's why we have Apple tags now, right? We, for, we forget our keys and we forget that appointment and maybe we lose a client or we damage the relationship we have a, with a client or, or we forget the name of the person standing before us, like maybe at church this happens. You know, it doesn't happen to me, you know, because I'm doing it right. No, I'm just kidding. But, but we forget people's names, and, and we're embarrassed when this happens, right? We forget things. We forget things of every day, and we think, forget things of great significance. We don't forget who we are, but, but though we don't forget who we are, like Jason Bourne, sometimes we forget something of even greater importance, Sometimes we forget who God is and what God has done. And God knows this about us. And because he knows this about us, he gives us mementos. He gives us memorials to remind us who he is and what he has done. We saw it in the very last verse that we read this morning in chapter 4, verse 7. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. God gave the people a sign. He gave them a symbol, a memento, a memorial so that they would look upon it and remember. So that they wouldn't forget. That they were to remember. And what are they to remember? Well, to remember how God brought them through the Jordan, how he brought them across this river. And by remembering this, they are remembering that God is trustworthy. That's what we are to remember, that God is trustworthy. Now, why from this passage would I say that God is trustworthy? Well, remember how the story began, right? God told his people, 
You're going to see the ark. It's going to go before you, and you need to follow it. We remember what the ark is, right? The ark of the covenant was given to God's people, right? They constructed it. They built it. And it was this box that the priests were to carry with poles. And, and in the ark contained the Ten Commandments, Moses' staff, and a few other things. And as it went, the people would follow it because the ark was the demonstration. It was the, the visible presence of God within his people. And Israel possessed it ever since they left Egypt. And so God says, the priests, they're going to carry the ark. And as you see it, follow it at a distance, but follow it nonetheless. Okay, so far so good, no problem. But then in verse 8, God says, Command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Okay, now we have a problem. We have a problem because the priests who are carrying this ark are being called to stand in the midst of the Jordan River. Now, this would be no problem if the Jordan River was like that creek behind the church building. Like, there's a little creek that runs behind the building. Some of y'all probably don't even know that, but, but it's very small, it's shallow, it's not very wide, it, it's pretty tame, right? Every one of us could go out there, and we could walk across that creek without any problem, and we could stand in the midst of it, and we wouldn't worry, but that's not the Jordan River. You see, the Jordan River is much more dangerous than that little creek. In chapter 3, verse 15, we're told that the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. And when they were crossing, this was the time of harvest. It was the spring. And the Jordan was flooded. Now, the normal width of the Jordan was basically about 90 to 100 feet wide, and it was 3 to 10 feet deep. But that's before it flooded. Now that it flooded, the water was overflowing its banks, and to cross the Jordan would be dangerous, but, but they weren't called to just cross it, right? The priests were called to stand in the midst of it. All right, how does that sound now? I mean, we've seen pictures and videos of flooded rivers, right? And we've seen cars, not people, cars swept away. And God is telling them, step into the midst of this. Stand in the midst of this river. I have to tell you that if I was there that day, if I was one of the Israelites, I would be thankful that I wasn't a priest, <laughs> And if I was a priest, I'd be hoping that it wasn't my turn to carry the ark, right? So, because we know what would happen. They would get about knee-deep into the water, and what would happen? Their legs would start to give away, and before too long, we could, you know, there go the priests. They're flowing away. It's dangerous. And yet, that's what God calls them to do. You see, by God calling the priests to step into the water, what he is doing is calling them to trust, to trust his word more than what they see. And that's what they do. Look at verses 15 through 17. As soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, the waters coming down from above stood up and rose up in a heap very far away. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground. God was telling them, trust my word. 
And when they do, when they stand in the Jordan, what they find is dry ground. Trust his word. Enter into the river. Trust his word like like they did when they came out of Egypt and God parted the sea and they passed over on dry ground. Like, Like when Jesus told Peter, get out of the boat and walk across the lake towards me. Trust my word. You see, what this is telling us is that God is trustworthy. And that is what we must remember. We must remember that he is trustworthy. And when we remember this, we're going to follow him. Right? He, he called them to follow. Trust my word and follow my word into the river. Follow the priests as they lead you through the water. Now, he hasn't called us to walk into rivers. But he has called us to follow him and take up our cross to deny ourselves, to follow him when he says, do not be afraid, to follow him when he says, my grace is sufficient for you. That we trust his word and follow where his word leads us. The priests went first and the people followed. They followed God's command to walk into the water. And every time they saw that memorial, every time they looked upon those 12 stones, they would have remembered God is trustworthy. But they'd remember not only that God is trustworthy, they would look at that memorial and remember that God is powerful. That he's powerful. And the clearest display of his power is the fact that the river stops, right? That the priests, the soles of their feet, they touch the water, they walk into the river, and the waters are cut off. Now, now we can stop water, right? We, we do this, modern technology. We stop water, we build dams, we divert the flow of rivers, we build amazing structures, the Hoover Dam, or, or closer to us, the Roanoke River Dam. We, we can do this, but it takes weeks and months and years for us to build these sorts of structures and divert the flow of water. But God, he simply commanded the river to stop, and it stopped. Not by magic, not by the building of a wall, But by his very word, God speaks and creation listens. Right? Twice in our passage, I don't know if you notice this, but twice God is called the Lord of all the earth. The Lord of all the earth. Now, when we hear this phrase, the Lord of all the earth, I imagine many of us think, yeah, God is the Lord. He's the king over the the earth, right? Over the nations, over the peoples. He is the ruler over all. He is the Lord over all the earth. And that is absolutely true. But the All the earth includes not just the nations and the peoples, but the land in which we dwell. And the rivers and the waters. Right? God is the Lord over all the earth, over the creation itself. In the beginning, we're told that God created the heavens and the earth and all that they contain. Right? That, that he, he put the birds in the sky and he put the fish in the sea and he made everything that creeps and crawls along the ground. And he did so. He made it by the word of his power. He simply spoke and it came into being. That is the power of God. That is the power that is on display here when the priest stepped foot into the Jordan. It wasn't anything that the priest did, right? All they did was splash into the river. And God made the river stop. That is the power that he has that is on display in creation, that is on display in Joshua 3, but it's also the power that we see later even in the Gospels. You remember that scene in the Gospels 
when the disciples, they're in a boat, and they're out in the middle of the lake, and it's the middle of the night, and they're, they're trying to get some sleep, they're trying to get some rest, but, but a storm arises, right? And the wind starts to blow, and the sea starts to, starts to crash over them, and, and they're freaking out, right? Like, we're going to die, and these were sailors, these were fishermen, they knew the sea, and they knew that their lives were in jeopardy, and, and so they're looking for help, and, and they look to Jesus, and what's Jesus doing, you remember? He, he's sleeping, <laughs> He's taking a nap. They are losing their minds. Chaos is ensuing, and he's getting some shut-eye. And so in their fear, in their worry, they turn and they rouse Jesus. Do you not care about us? We're we're dying. We're going to be killed here. And what does Jesus do? I don't know if he rubbed the sleep out of his eyes. The passage doesn't tell us. but, But he sits up, and he speaks to the waves and to the wind, and he simply says, Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased, and the waves calmed. Because the creation had heard that voice that they had heard so many years ago when it was first formed, and they obeyed it. The word of his power. The word of his power. And the disciples seeing this were full of fear and awe. And they said, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? And what is the answer? It's the answer that we hear in Joshua 3. He is the Lord over all the earth. The one who has power over the wind and the water. That is what we remember. That is what Israel remembers, his power And we remember his power because God tells Joshua and he tells Israel in this passage that the display of his power to stop the river, this display is assurance to them that God is giving them the land. That's what we see in verse 10. Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, and and all the other ites, right? This is how you can know I'm going to give you the land because I'm the one who stopped the water. That's basically what he's saying in verse 10. Since I have the power to stop the mighty river, you can be sure that I have the power to defeat your enemies and give you the land. And every time they looked at those stones and every time they saw that memorial, they would remember that when faced with fear, That when faced with a battle, they could look at that memorial and they could remember the power of God. They could remember his power against the waters and his power to defeat the enemy. And that is what we remember. We remember that the one who has the power to stop the Jordan and told the winds and the waves to be still, he is the one who went to the cross and rose again to defeat the enemies of sin and death so that we would be forgiven. That is what we remember. God's power on display, not just in the Jordan, but God's power on display in the cross. We remember. We remember that God is powerful. We remember that he is trustworthy. And as a people who remember, we remember to tell others what we remember. See, the stones that were stacked up and that memorial that was built... It wasn't just for those people who first crossed the river on that day, but it would serve as an object lesson for future generations to remember. 
That's what we see in chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. This may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them what the waters, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And then later in chapter 4, verse 24, a verse we didn't read, Joshua tells the people what God had said about this memorial. He says that, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You see, what we're seeing here is that that we don't simply remember who God is and what he did for our own sakes, but we are to tell others who he is and what he has done. That we tell our children and the nations. You see, remembrance isn't just for our sake, but it's also for the sake of others. This reminds me of my friend Justin. Justin's a pastor in South Carolina. He and I were in seminary together. He's one of my closest friends. And Justin has set up a sort of memorial for his kids. He set up a memorial of sorts for his kids, but it takes the form not of stones or, or of rock, but it's actually in the form of ice cream. <laughs> because you see, every year on the anniversary of the baptism of each of Justin's kids, on that day, Justin will take his son or daughter, whose ever anniversary, baptism anniversary it is, he takes them to the local ice cream parlor. And the child can pick whatever ice cream they want, and they, they get their cone or they get their bowl, and they sit there with Justin, and Justin reminds them. As they eat their ice cream, he reminds them of their baptism. He tells them where it was and, and what city they were in and what church it took place in and who the pastor was. And he reminds them of what baptism is all about. As, as the ice cream melts over their hands and they're licking it, all they're hearing is this story being retold to them every year, again and again and again. He's reminding them of God's power to forgive their sins. He's reminding them of the trustworthiness of God's word. And through this memorial, he remembers and tells his children to remember. That's what Justin does with his sons and his daughter. And that's what God does with us. And he does it not with ice cream, and he doesn't do it with stones or rocks, but instead he does it with this table. He does it with this table because every single week when we come and we eat the bread and we drink the wine, we're reminded of how God is trustworthy and we're called to follow him. We're reminded as we eat the bread and we drink the wine that, that God through Christ has powerfully saved us, that through his life, he has given his life so that we would have life. We are reminded every time we come to this table and when we eat and we drink, we declare what we remember. Because the Apostle Paul says that as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, every week God has given us a memorial, a way for us to remember and to remind one another and to remind others who God is and what he has done. That he is the one who is powerful the one who saves his people, who delivers us, and he is the one who is trustworthy. And so we remember. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you 
Thank you that you have given us mementos, memorials, ways for us to remember what you have done and who you are. And so I pray, Father, that in our forgetfulness that you would remind us again, that you would prompt us and direct us, that you would remind us of who you are, of your grace and mercy, of your kindness and love, of your trustworthiness and power, that we would never forget, but instead that we would remember. We would remember our God and our Savior, our King and our Lord, the one to whom we follow. So remind us again, we pray. And we pray all this in Christ's name. And God's people said together, Amen.